and welcome to a new episode of From the Honeycomb Podcast. I am your host, Katerina Burenova. Each week, we dive into a blend of topics that resonate with the soul. Whether you're an architect enthusiast, have a passion for wanderlust, want to discover holistic approaches to rejuvenate your body and mind, or are intrigued to learn about Vastu Shastra with a modern approach, you've come to the right place. Join me as I sit down with inspiring, like-minded women from various walks of life. We will delve into their journeys to discuss the challenges and moments that define their paths. So sit back, relax, and let the spark of positive energy ignite your curiosity. Today I am joined by Angela, a shamanic energy healer, certified health coach, Usui Tibetan Reiki master. Angela can create a customized healing modality based on your individual energy systems to help grow your personal toolbox. Angela, welcome to From the Honeycomb podcast. Thank you, Katerina. It's great to be here. And as you know, we begin every episode by sharing something that we are grateful for in the present moment. So what are you grateful for? I'm most grateful for, I think in this moment myself, but also a lot of people I really love and care about are stepping into these new versions of themselves right now, what I call the now version. And I feel like many of us have been through this roller coaster of like transformation emotions, especially over the last couple of three years. I'm really grateful for all the transformations that have been happening like within me and in the people around me. I feel like we're stepping into these new versions of ourselves And it's very exciting, and I'm feeling very grateful for the changes. Oh, oh, I really like that. Oh, and that's awesome to hear that so many people are really stepping into themselves. It seems like I think you're right on, I think even like on a global shift, and then it seems like very individualistic as well, that people are really, especially after everything we've gone through the last few years. Yeah, absolutely. So Angela, you know, when we first got on the call, I said, you know, I don't know when I first started following you, but I have really loved a lot of your videos and just the information that you provide and a lot of like your healing practices. So can you share with us your background and kind of the journey that's led you to what you do today? Sure, I'm happy to. So I am a shamanic energy healer and I grew up with my grandmother on my dad's side who is also a shamanic healer, but we kind of do things differently. But she taught me a lot. Actually, my introduction to this was animal healing, like doing energy healing on animals. And the first animal uh, we call like the animal kin that we met was actually a crow. And that was when this whole thing started. The crow has very controversial kind of energy where I grew up. I grew up in China where I spent the first 12 years, you know, doing this training with my grandmother. So that crow really helped us navigate kind of like this world of duality, good or bad, yes or no. But it's also, you know, it bridges different realms and dimensions. So it was my first introduction to shamanic healings actually through that crow. And I'm happy to talk about this later. But now today I practice energy healing based on my client's individual soul energy system. So we are just like nature, you know, like the calcium, the minerals that lived in our blood and our bones, the water that keeps everything fluid and lubricated. But we also have that earth energy in us, like the bodies of physical material, substance, just like everything on earth. 
And then we have our fire, you know, that's like our heat is digestion. It's what warms us. Um, and then we have air, which is our breath, our life force. So all the elements in nature are within us. And so I look at a client's soul energy constitution um, and a system that I use frequently. It's actually the five element system in traditional Chinese medicine, which is part of my background. And I'm actually in graduate school right now to finish that so I can start practicing acupuncture and herbal medicine when I'm done. But in the meantime, it's really about the individual soul energy composition. I sometimes will get into people's Akashic records to pull information from their soul lineage because a lot of that, you know, what we call past information is very much part of the fabric of our now. So we can't really work on the now without understanding what those threats are. So I kind of pull these threats in and then I kind of read my client's energy constitution. And from there we decide like what and where needs balancing and how for that individual based on all these factors. Wow. That's very interesting. I think I know, I love that you cover the elements in the body. I know when I've been studying Vastu Shastra, it's the element theory in the home and how the home is the elements. And so I think it really ties in with we are also elements and like the air is the breath, the fire, you know, our digestion. It's, it's so true. And, and then we are a part of nature. So I love, I love that. Yeah. And so we feel so alive. Like we feel so good being in nature. It's because, because we're essentially one with nature. It's the same kind of home for us. And so if we're not spending a lot of time in nature, it's very easy for us to get out of balance and just feel out of alignment because we're kind of like separated from all these elemental energies within us. Oh, absolutely. And I definitely feel that. I feel like even my husband and I on our travels, we've been looking more towards like nature locations to stay. And like now the last few New Year's, I mentioned, I know you live in Topanga Canyon in LA and we love Topanga. We love hiking there. It's just, you feel, it's amazing that like the hustle and bustle of LA is just over the hill, but we go up there and we feel completely, there's like this magical energy there. And so now whenever we travel, we try to look for little kind of more rural areas or places just that aren't full of just people because we live in suburbia in Southern Orange County. So that's, it's nice to be in that nature and to be able to connect. Yeah, exactly. To connect with your own like elements and that nature within. Absolutely. And so I, I want to come to how you connected with the crow and, and if you can share the story about that, because I know that one of the reasons I reached out to you as well is I'm very curious about connecting with your spirit animal. Yeah. And I'm really happy you brought that up because everyone has what I call animal kin when they're born. Um, it's just not, not all of us connect with them consciously, but they're there and they're still forever supporting us for as long as we're in these bodies because the animals on the earth are um these are earthly beings so a lot of the species that we know and see they've been here for much longer than the human species has so in a lot of ways the animals really know a lot about the ways of life on earth nature's rhythms how to survive how to thrive on this planet. So they have a lot to share with us and to guide our path while we're on earth. Um, so when I work with people, so energy and doing energy balancing, I will often consult with that person's animal kin to kind of understand their relationship and also that person's purpose, like why they're here 
you know, why do we take on these bodies in each lifetime? And there's always like a why of why we're here. So the crow is interesting. We, my grandmother and I were walking through this neighborhood park near where she lived. Like we often took walks there on a daily basis. I was probably around six or seven, between like six and eight, I think. And we were walking, it was an afternoon and there are all these pines and just like evergreens on one side, like on our left. And we just heard like this crow kind of making these noises, right? And I was like, grandma, like there's a crow, we should go check it out. So we go see and we just see this crow that's like under a tree and it's kind of hidden itself behind like these bushes to protect itself. And it was just sitting on the ground. So it was very obvious, like one wing was injured because it wasn't, it was in this odd angle. So I was like, what should we do? And she was like, we're going to, we're going to take this crow home and like help it get better so it can fly again. And then, so she was waiting for people to pass because there were like other people like in the park with us. And so she was like, we need to wait until the people are gone to pick up the crow and take it home. And then she said, we can't tell anybody about this. So in Chinese culture, the crow is um, a messenger. Everybody knows that. But also it resembles death. It symbolizes death because it cleans up, you know, it eats dead bodies, right? It's a cleanup. It's seen as like a bird that basically ushers death because it's often seen around like graveyards and it hovers over dead animals and things. But that is a very limited view of this animal. So people with the crow animal kin as their guide are, they often feel misunderstood by people as well. And people often don't see their greater purpose. And these people themselves often have trouble tapping into their own soul power if they give in too much into this misunderstanding and associations with death, which if you think about it, it's really rebirth and transformation. And, you know, we die many times in this, just this one life. It's just not that physical death, but it's like the transformation, you know, we're always cycling. It's the circle of life and the crow, like the vulture, like some other species, they actually come and clean up. And then there's new space again, because what would happen if nobody cleaned up, Right. you know, after, yeah. <laughs> after the the transformations have happened. So it's actually really powerful. And then, you know, crow is part of, they belong to the winged creatures and the winged creatures are messengers. They bridge realms because they're able to travel, traverse between different realms. In this case, shamanically, you know, the upper realm, and this is our middle world, but the crow has this connection to the underworld. Um, Because we talk about the three dimensions of existence in shamanism, like the upper, the middle, and the lower world. So Crow, the Raven, is a really powerful ally because they're able to traverse all three realms. My grandmother was very much like, we need to do this in secrecy because we don't want anyone to see us with the Crow because then they're going to associate us with, you know, witchcraft Mm -hmm. or something. And part of this has to do with like the history of China, like recent history, right? More modern history of China. Historically, the civilization has always practiced shamanism and natural healing and the whole healing system that is now known as TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, actually has very strong shamanic origins, which is not largely 
ignored or not really talked about now because people still feel a certain level of discomfort with that. So the crow has that controversial energy. We took it home and it stayed with us for about a week on our, on my grandmother's like patio. And we had like a little box and I would spend time with it every single day and, you know, give it water and food. And you really start to have this relationship. And they're so intelligent. They could see by like looking to their eyes and it knew that we were helping to heal. Even though I was really nervous because I was a kid, I was like, oh my God, is it going to be okay? Like I remember like waking up to go check on it, you know, the night and it was just like very quiet and would just be there and in its little box without a lid. We had like an open top and it was just so happy. And Within a week's time, I think like seven or eight days, it had that morning I woke up, I saw it had flown outside the box. It flew, it was like outside of the little enclosure we had. So my grandma was like, it's ready, like it's ready to go. But what was really interesting was the patio was open. So there's no like window or anything that's closed. Mm -hmm. So the crow would actually leave at any time. What's really interesting was like it flew out of its enclosure and just kind of walked around and stayed on the patio until we were up. And then we decided to bring it like downstairs to where we found it and then released it and it, it flew away. So that was my kind of first physical connection mm-hmm. with the animal. Oh, wow. That's a really impactful like week for you that you went through from, you know, finding the crow. And it's amazing that you were able to connect with it. And I do know crows are highly, highly intelligent birds. Aren't they like one of the more, they're definitely more on the higher intelligent. I know they've done like tests with them as far as like cognitive wise. Um, so that's really interesting to hear. But that's really fascinating to hear too, that they can go through the different realms. I had no idea about that. And that it does make sense. You know, one of the first things I thought about when you mentioned the crow is like the Edgar Allan Poe poems, you know, and, and the crow is there. And so it's interesting how it does, you know, the crow, you do first think of like death and kind of a darkness, but they do have another side to them. So and so from that experience then, like what happened after? So then you, so you, the crow was released and then, I mean, it must've triggered something in you to, to keep, you know, thinking about, about it. So what's really funny was my whole like first 12 years that I spent with my grandmother. <laughs> so since that crow came, you know, I started elementary school and the entire time, like I would say, yeah, in like the six, seven, eight years followed that interaction with the crow, we would have different people come, like family, friends, relatives that lived all over. They would come to visit us. I grew up with all kinds of animals, like some people, you know, like a, like an uncle would come in the spring and he's like, look, I brought you like baby chicks and ducks and ducklings. So, or like a family friend that I never met or like, I didn't really know, right? That's my grandmothers or my grandpas. Like they would bring me turtles and fish and parrots, like birds. And I also had rabbits. I had bunnies. I had lab rats. I had, um, I had cats. We never had dog, which was interesting. I didn't have a dog now, but growing up, I did not have a dog. But yeah, ducks are amazing. They make amazing pets, actually. Really? So 
Yeah. So I grew up with all these animals and they were constantly there because they lived mm-hmm. with us. So that's always been a really interesting like reflection for me, how so many of these animals came into my life in, in early childhood for the first 12 years. And I really got to work with their spirit and like learn from them. I even had a hedgehog one. Wow. I mean, you name it. I think I've just had so many different types. And which of them have you connected the most with? Like, and did a crow ever come back into your life as you had all these other animals? So yeah, my um, crow is more or less like a constant companion, I would say, especially during times of major change in my life. I find that whenever I'm about to begin something new or something is a cycle is coming to an end in my life, you know, maybe moving on from certain relationships or friendships or maybe it's work-related projects or if I'm moving. So three years ago, we moved to LA from North Carolina and leading up to that move, tons of crows were coming. So we would leave them like little peanuts and cashews to kind of keep them nourished because I knew they were bringing messages and they really helped to usher in new energy, which when we think of new energy, we think a lot about new beginnings, like new people, new opportunities. But sometimes that new beginning coincides with endings and the old exiting. So that's what the crow is doing. It's like a clearing space and freeing space so the new can come in. It's kind of unfortunate that we associate them with like a negative bad omen And what they're really doing is helping us clear and free space to welcome the new, but also showing us very clearly like what must, you know, exit. Interesting. And be cleared. And so, so is the crow then your spirit animal or can you have different spirit animals? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that. I, um, so the crow is one of the animal kins that I work with during times of transformation. They will often give me guidance around what's happening and help me learn this art of letting go, right? Which I'm still learning. I feel like it's such an art. Maybe I spend like this whole life perfecting. But this is a really beautiful question. Do we have different, you know, spirit animals or just one? Based on my experience and just what I've learned from my grandmother and then through my own shamanic practices working with people I find every human that I've worked with is born with one spirit kin and this spirit kin or spirit guide right this animal spirit stays with this person for your entire life it understands your soul's purpose your path but also some of your innate obstacles karmic imprints that you're here to shed or transmute. And so they are great about you staying on course. And they're always working with you to attract people, places, opportunities that help you stay in alignment with your soul's path, which is sometimes very, very different from what we think we should be doing or what we think we should want. So that's one. But then throughout this whole lifetime, we can have many different animal kins, different types of animal spirits that will step in and interact with us to bring in certain energies or take away certain energies. 
depending on what we're moving through, depending on the season of life, just depending on circumstances. So you can have many, many, and then when their work is done, you move on to like a different one. So it's very fascinating and rewarding to like become conscious of these energies and work with them because it can have, have like a really big impact on your like on your day-to-day life quality. And how do you know what your animal kin is? Because I talked to my husband that you were coming on and I was telling him about it and he goes, well, I know what mine is. It's a shark. And I said, how do you know that it's a shark? And he goes, because I have dreams two to three times a week and there's a shark in the dream. Sometimes the shark's a friend, sometimes the shark's an enemy. He's like, but so seems like he can confidently say that it's the shark for him, but how do you know? And like for me, I, I don't I don't know what it could be. I have an idea of what it is, and I think it's like the rabbit, but I don't know if if I've connected correctly. So there are there are a lot of different ways that our animal kins will reach us. And most of the time, I find that it has a lot to do with when or where that person is most receptive to energy, to spiritual energy, spiritual information, when you're most receptive and most open to these connections. Because when we're, ta- we're talking about spirit, these are animal spirits, these kins are working at a, an energetic, etheric level that is not dense and physical. But the animal kins, the animal spirits have the power where, because they're earth dwellers and they're earth beings, so they have this ability to materialize and be very physical and tangible, as opposed to, say, you know, the angels, you know, the angelic realm or other elemental beings who come from these unseen realms, they may not present themselves as like a physical being. Whereas what's really special about our animal kin is like they can actually show up as an actual animal, right? So that's one way where it's very direct. You will see very frequently like a certain animal that keeps coming up. Like you go here, oh, there's a rabbit. You go there, oh, there's a rabbit. Walking into a store, you know, and there are some pictures of rabbit. So that's one clue that the rabbit spirit is connecting with you for a specific purpose. Another one is like your husband said, in dream state, it's possible that is one of the times or situations where he is very receptive and open to spiritual energies, the subconscious mind, because during the day, you know, when we're conscious mind is working, we tend to kind of compartmentalize or block information, you know, the receptivity is different. But in the in the dream state, in the rest state, we allow a lot of information to come through, solve problems. You know, a lot can happen in our sleep. So, yeah, it's very possible that the sharks have been reaching out to him. And sharks are very, um, they're incredibly powerful. They have a lot of strength, but they're also very good with navigating, um, like, emotions and helping us become more focused emotionally like we're kind of feeling emotionally scattered the sharks can be very good with directing or redirecting what our emotional focus is interesting interesting yeah and that's also another animal that I feel like can kind of get a you know I think through like you know sharks are scary and especially like we live in California and we know that they're out there but you know we always talk with my husband like of course we see sharks out there we're we're in their home you know and so and being mindful and respectful, but it just made me, th- I, I, that's really interesting that the sharks have to do with focus and emotional focus and helping you navigate your emotions. Because again, I would think of them similar to like the crow, 
you know, we as a society, I think, think of the animals as like, you know, bad or, you know, in a negative way. But that's really interesting about the shark. And so what about, for example, the rabbit then? Have you been seeing, like, in what ways have you been feeling connected to the rabbit? So where our house lines up, we have, like, a little hill. And there's always, like, I've been seeing more and more these bunnies and rabbits. Like, we've had a lot this year. And there's always something about it. Like, they seem to have been coming closer to the house. And they also get into our patio, which is very kind of, I think, a little... I mean, we're in a pretty populated area, and I know that you know the rabbits aren't are probably used to humans now, but still, like it just seems very like the rabbits will just come near the door or they'll come, you know, and they'll hang out in our patio. And then so that just seems like they're just it's like a safe space. They they know, I mean, I know energetically it must feel like a safe space where they can sit, you know, and nibble on our plants and <laughs> and spend time there knowing that they're in a safe space. So that's where the rabbit has come up the most. As a child, I had a bunny when I lived in the Czech Republic. I had a little bunny named Sunny. It was all black with a white little paw. And so that was my first like animal and pet I ever had. After that, we had a dog. But so like I always kind of, bunnies are always just very calming to me. They're kind of just these, I just think of them as very calm. And like when you pet them, you relax. And so that's kind of where the bunny has kind of showed up in my life. Wow. That's really powerful that you had a bunny that's like your first pet. And then now they're showing up like where you live in your home. And so you have this close connection with them, both in your home space. One is your childhood home. One is the home that you now share with your husband. What's really interesting was this morning, I dropped off my daughter at school and I drove to the canyon for a little bit just to, you know, get in touch with nature. I sometimes like to go and just hang out for a few minutes after household things, spending time with my daughter, you know, just connect with nature. And as as we were like pulling up to the to where we always park in the state park, this rabbit was just sitting in the middle of the road. And then as we were driving close, it like went off and jumped off there to the side. But it made sure that we saw him. It was literally just on the street. So and I was kind of like thinking about it because I was like, oh, I'm gonna record this podcast, you know, with Katarina later. And so yeah, I do feel you know, you definitely have this connection with the with the rabbit. And the rabbit is a very interesting animal kin because it's first of all, it's been around for so long. It's been around for before we even started walking the planet. So it's a very ancient creature, even though we don't make that connection because they're so small and they're fluffy. We associate them with things like Easter mm-hmm. bunnies. But they've really existed way before <laughs> any of these associations existed with rabbits. Rabbits are actually very cunning and resourceful. They're very good with tapping into nourishment. Mm, okay. And being a vegetarian, the rabbit, they eat constantly. So they have to eat constantly. And because they're a prey animal, it has to be really careful and strategize. Like when Am I going to go where, you know, and people with that rabbit animal kin as a guide are very, very strategic. And these people are planners and very peaceful in nature, non-aggressive, but very intelligent and cunning if needs to be. It's always like planning out my exit because it just never knows, you know, maybe I'm eating this piece of grass and it's great on this patch, but then suddenly the fox comes or, you know, here we have a lot of coyotes. So it needs to know where the exit is. And, you know, they built these really sophisticated underground, what I call like networks. So the burrows 
I don't know if I've ever seen like pictures or actual burrows. It's a pretty like complex, sophisticated system. And I know like you're you're an architect, right? I mean, these these beings, the rabbit is like a master architect because it's got to do all of this underground. They have different, you know, compartments, like different rooms almost. They do different things in different rooms. And it doesn't just have one exit because sometimes like a predator will stalk its prey. So it will observe that rabbit is always coming out from one exit, but the rabbit has multiple exits that it can go and come back in. So it's a very cunning and strategic, intelligent guide. Lots of talent for planning, very resourceful for tapping into the pasture that it needs to like thrive and care for its young, um, but very, very peaceful in nature and like non-aggressive, like wouldn't really want to step on anyone's toes, that type of thing. But it's very creative because of this, this incredible systems that they create underground, yeah. you know? So it stands for creativity. And then in some cases, it can also be a harbinger, like a messenger of fertility. So for certain, it could also bring in that energy. But usually these these guides and the people that they guide tend to be very agile, very fast, like quick-witted, but very peaceful and strategic, intelligent beings. And... Um, with the Chinese lunar calendar and the Chinese zodiac, this is also the year of the yin rabbit. So, wow, look at that. yeah, I'm curious. Like, I'm curious how how have you been feeling this year, and and how do you feel about those things that I brought up about the rabbit I guide? Resonated with a lot of it. Um, just I like the the calm and the the architecture part of it was very interesting the, to make that connection, and it is so true because you know I am creative and designing and love creating a home. Like for me, it's very I, I work in residential architecture, especially so thinking about how the rabbit makes homes that really resonated with me. The strategic and planning, I'm always planning. I have multiple to-do lists. I have constantly figuring out stuff. I, I know, like, I try not to plan too far in advance, as, you know, but I love planning. I love, you know, organizing trips. I like organizing social events. Like, that really resonated with me. And then the always eating, I love to snack. <laughs> snacking. <laughs> like, I know right before we started the call, I was snacking on blueberries. And so blueberries and raspberries, and they're so good. And so that that also really, those were the things that really, like, stood out to me. Yeah, so what I'm feeling for you is the rabbit is a constant companion. So this is an animal kin guide for you throughout life. It's very consistent. It's not an animal that's coming in for a certain period of time to bring certain energies or clear certain energies and then they leave, right? So this is like a constant companion and you have very strong connection to them. So you can always just like have a little one way to kind of strengthen our connection with the spirit kins is to have a 3D like a three-dimensional figure of it. So you can have a little rabbit like on your desk or something. It just keeps that connection very anchored and strong in the earthly plane oh. with that animal. Oh, I like that. I'm definitely going to do that. That's really cute. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. And so what if someone is listening and they're like still like, I don't know, there's no animal kin that's coming up like they just can't think of it what are some are there any sort of like rituals or practices someone can do to really tap into the energy and see kind of what animal kin may show up for them so one way is to look up your birth year and look up what your Chinese zodiac okay. is because 
the year you were born, there will be an animal that's associated with it out of the 12 Chinese zodiac animals. And usually for everybody, that animal really speaks to a lot of this person's kind of innate temperament, both the, you know, two sides of coins, both the areas where we're really strong and powerful, and then the areas where we can kind of bring balance to, where we tend to go into a little too much, a little too little. So I highly recommend like looking up those 12 animals of the Chinese Zodiac and kind of see. So I was born in the year of the fire tiger and both the fire element and the tiger energy, the tigress energy, I definitely identify with. I need a lot of alone time in my own territory, so to speak. The tiger is a solitary creature. You know, we don't travel in I want to say flock, but that's not the right word. We don't travel in packs. Like we're not really a packed animal. And so it's not really important for me personally to be following like a pack. So doing our own thing is really important. And of course, tigers are very fierce, but very loving with their young. And the interesting thing about tigers also like people associate it with being a predator and like very aggressive but tigers are actually one of the most chill animals when they are not when they're not needing to get their nourishment. So if they're not hunting, they're actually just chilling and relaxing. It's like a very meditative creature and very creative and very in tune with like nature's rhythms. But a lot of people associate with like that speed, you know, the pounds and the, the get and going for the kill. And that's actually only when they're hunting, like only when they're going after things. The rest of the time we're really just kind of chilling. So do you know your um Zodiac I animal? do. I was born year of the monkey. Oh, okay. So that probably represents, you know, if you look up some of those qualities or what monkeys, you know, what comes up for you when you think about a monkey. What comes, oh, what comes up for me for a monkey? I would say kind of just like having fun. I feel like it kind of goes with that whole like you're monkeying around, like they seem to have a very playful energy. And then also I think of them as in being in groups as well. And they travel in groups. Like most recently when we were in Belize last year with my husband for our honeymoon, it was so fun, just fascinating watching monkeys. Obviously here in California, we don't have them in our backyard. So I wouldn't be resonating with them on a daily basis like the bunny, but there's just something about them when you're watching them move through, you know, like the trees. And they also seem strategic as well as like finding their path. How are they going to get from point A? to point B. So I see them as being like fun. They seem to have that playful energy, but I think they also kind of have a little bit of strategicness. I don't know if I hit any of the the right points. Yeah, absolutely. And very curious. I mean, would you say that you're a very curious Yes, person? I am very curious. <laughs> I am very curious. Yeah. Our monkeys are especially curious out of the many, many animal kins that we can have. So that's for sure. If for someone who's like, you know, I don't feel connected to like the animal spirits, I don't know where to start. That's a good place to start. Another ritual I would recommend, and anyone can do this at home, is to sit in a quiet moment, preferably in the dark, so you can do this at nighttime. And then you just light a candle, light a new candle, a white candle. And you look at that flame for, you know, a minute or so, just a couple of minutes spending time in this darkness with this light of the candle illuminating kind of the quiet and that space around you. And then you can just ask the flame of the fire and say, ask the fire spirit to illuminate your animal kin. And you can say, show me my 
animal kin. You can ask for your primary animal kin, or you can ask for an animal kin that you are really needing to connect and work with right now and see what comes up. I usually recommend going with whatever first animal comes up in your mind, in your consciousness. That is how I've worked with some of my clients to initiate this process. Interesting. And then are there animal kins that are like good buddies or like when you look for like your twin flame or your soul soulmate, are there any, can you find like, are there any animal kins that go well together, for example, like in a relationship or in a friendship? You mean like which animals belong together yes. or like work really well together yes. rather than like repel? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's really interesting. Are you kind of referring to like if you, so like let's say your animal, right? We say a bunny and say for your husband. Shark. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm feeling for him, the shark is kind of, not necessarily a constant companion, but it is an energy that he's being called to work mm-hmm. with. And it has a lot to do with not fearing, just being very comfortable with your own powers and with your own strength, mm-hmm. even though it may threaten other people. I'm really feeling like he's really being led to follow his own intuition and go after his own kind of inclinations and go after what he's what he's feeling called to pursue. So I'm kind of feeling like this is more of a temporary engagement with the Mm -hmm. shark as opposed to like a constant companion, like a lifetime Mm -hmm. animal kin, like you and the bunny, right? In terms of, is it possible for two people, let's say in a romantic relationship or friendship to have animal kins that kind of repel or like oppose each other? That I find to be unusual. I've not encountered that. The animal kins that work with us are extremely wise and loving they've had earth times as that animal but they've ascended into these spirits right so they have a very different view on earth life and so they come from the perspective of unconditional love and so there's never judgment or conflict that they would really run into like we do while we're in these bodies because they're ascended beings that are here to guide us. I see. And that makes sense. If anything, you know, they probably guide us to like guide our way out of these conflicts and harmonize a relationship as opposed to bringing tension, I would say. But in the Chinese Zodiac pairing, there are pairings where certain animals go well with other animals and then you know avoid certain animals of the 12 animals so people can always look that up if they're interesting interesting do you know what the monkey goes well with i don't okay. know off the top of my head usually there's like two to three oh, okay got it. so i would look okay i'll definitely look into that and see kind of who who in my life because it, it's interesting like so you know because i'm a pisces and, and my husband's a scorpio and pisces and scorpios being water elements so I was wondering if it was similar as it is with like Zodiac with your animal kin. Yeah. You guys understand each mm-hmm. other. You have that innate understanding, especially emotionally. You can reflect a lot back to mm-hmm. each other. Here's the interesting thing about the Chinese Zodiac. You will find, you know, certain animals don't go well with certain animals out of the 12 parent, out of the 12 animals. Right. But in life, it's virtually impossible to avoid encountering or working with and sometimes even being married to somebody who's born in a year 
where that your animal is like in opposition to your own animal. And I have that example, both in my family and also in clients that I work with. And what I've found in these situations is there's usually things that you're meant to bring to completion together. You're meant to have this connection, even though sometimes it could bring, you know, even though they could be challenging companions sometimes, there is still this element of completion and for unfinished business. And then as a result, like the two people with the different Zodiac animals that are in theory opposing in opposition Mm -hmm. to each other actually end up learning and evolving a lot from each other. And there's a lot of growth that can happen that you wouldn't get simply with like an animal that you harmonize with. And this is just in terms of the Chinese zodiac. Right. right. Well, that makes sense. And I like that. I mean, I feel like we're all constantly growing, evolving, and kind of going back to your gratitude of how people are transitioning. And, you know, there's those different seasons and chapters of your life. And so it makes sense that you would find another animal kin or somebody else's animal kin, and that would help you to grow. I think that's really nice. It's also very positive. It seems like, you know, we are all trying to avoid conflict. And so I like that. I really like that. It's a way to find it find it to be growth and learn from each other as well. Exactly. So in that sense, they can actually be very supportive in ways that you wouldn't be able to have that receive that support from like an animal that you normally just harmonize with. Well, Angela, this has been amazing. I am so curious to learn more about the rabbit. I'm like going to be noticing it more and seeing what kind of messages come up. And then I'll have to think more about the monkey as well and and do some research. But this has been really insightful. Like I'm so fascinated to even dive like deeper. And this is just really interesting. So thank you so much for coming on from the Honeycomb Podcast. You're so welcome. I've loved being here. And the bee is one of my animal kins that I've been working very closely with. So when you reached out, I really knew it was like the bees bring us together. Oh, so I love that. And so do you choose to work with a different animal kin or do, do you choose the animal kin or does it choose you? So usually it's both. If I'm working, you know, if I'm navigating like a life circumstance and I'm really needing some help, I will usually tap into energies that I need that will be most supportive to me. But a lot of the times these animals will come to me and I will kind of tune into what is it bringing? Like, what is the message? And that's how I work with my clients as well. But typically in that situation, a one-on-one situation, I typically will see different animals present in that person's aura because I read aura as part of my work for energy healing. So I will typically see at least one, but often multiple animals in a, in a person's energy field. That's amazing. And so, yeah, so where can listeners find you? And I know you also have a subscription list where I know you do special offerings. So where can listeners find you? Yeah, it's called The Kindred, which is a soul letter. It's a newsletter that I sent out. And people can go to my website, which is they can just Google Essence Wellness Design, and then my website will come up. And then from there, you can subscribe to the Kindred Soul Letter and my various offerings. 
So, and they can also find me on Instagram for at essence.wellness. Perfect. Well, Angela, thank you again for coming on from the honeycomb. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Perfect. Thank you for listening to this episode of From the Honeycomb Podcast. As we conclude, I want to express my gratitude for joining me in today's episode. I hope you have found it insightful and inspiring. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to rate, review, and click that like button so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to share this with your friends. You can follow me on Instagram at From the Honeycomb Podcast. And you can also further your support of From the Honeycomb by visiting the patron link provided in the show notes. Your contribution helps make more episodes possible. And lastly, don't forget to subscribe to my monthly newsletter, A Spark of Positive Energy, that comes out on the 7th of each month. Thank you so much, and see you next Friday. Thank you.